the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. During our season of Lent, we have been journeying with Jesus as he and we walk toward Holy Week. As we walk toward Good Friday and then that joyous day of resurrection, Easter Sunday, when together we celebrate Christ being raised from the dead, we are now at the halfway point. We have as much behind us as we have now in front of us. And since Ash Wednesday, we have been focusing on and we have been looking. First, Ben started us focusing on abiding in Christ. Asking, are we truly connected to the vine? Are we getting the life, the nourishment that we need from the vine? Or have we become detached? What might building or rebuilding our connection to Christ look like during the season of Lent? It's not just giving something up, but it is taking on something new that is life-giving. Then Allie took us deeper, a deeper dive into our inner life, exploring the relationship with self, focusing on the nurturing and the restoring of our inner self, our inner life. And last week, Chris focused on our relationship with God, nurturing and restoring that vertical relationship that we have with God. Each week, we have also seen changes happening to our chapel. Changes, perhaps, are subtle at times. The changes as attention is being given to bring life, to bring restoration to something which was once neglected, something empty and broken, useless. Now, neglect does not happen all at one time. Rather, it builds up gradually, and it changes with, because of priorities, or perhaps it is even by apathy. The result? See it behind me, the broken down chapel, instead of being a place inviting people to come and to sit in a stillness. It was a place of disarray, of brokenness, chairs dismantled all over the place, disrepair. Then gradually, things began to change. We all know what happens with our cars and our homes, when we don't stay on top of repairs and maintenance, suddenly those little tiny projects or concerns become bigger and bigger until something is no longer able or functional, and it becomes a major issue for us. The same takes place in our lives. When we neglect our physical health and care, little issues can turn into major concerns, A sore tooth left unattended can result in decay and a need for a a root canal. Ooh, don't even like the sound of that one. Or the pulling out of a tooth. When if you had gone to the dentist to begin with, they might have been able to help it initially. During these days and weeks of Lent, we have been reminded how our spiritual walk with God can also fall into periods of neglect slowly and subtly as other things come into being. As we have been examining our connectedness with God, our inner life, our vertical relationship with God, for truly this is where it begins. That is the core 
of our very, very source of life. Now today, we are going to be exploring those relationships that we have around us. Today, we will be exploring one of the parables of the stories that Jesus told, the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son, as many call it. And through the lens of this parable, we also turn our attention to exploring our relationship with others, our horizontal relationships, our relationships with family members, with friends, with classmates, with coworkers, and with others with whom we come in contact with. Now, in the next few moments, I am going to invite you to a time of reflection. I want you to listen. I want you to look as the story unfolds before us in a variety of mediums. First, I will read the story in Scripture. Then I want you to, and I want you to listen as the story is then being played out through the sounds of music, the rise and the fall of notes, listening to the sounds of the son as he strays, the hardships, his, his coming back and being restored. Listen as the sounds transform into the hymn, the king of love, my shepherd is. Listen how the music tells the story. And as you are listening, I will invite you to also to reflect and to gaze upon Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son. I will encourage you to look. What do you observe? What do you see? What do you hear? Where do you place yourself in this painting, in this story? Now, let us listen first to the scripture in the New Living Translation. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth among his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed up all of his belongings and moved to a distant land and there wasted all of his money in wild living. After a time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned both against you and heaven, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me back as a hired servant. And so he returned home to his father. And while he was still far off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both you and heaven, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick! Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that has been fattened. 
we must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has returned now to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the home. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. The father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do anything that you told me to. All of this time you never gave me one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, my dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything that I have is yours. We have to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. This is the word of God for the people of God. I invite you now to listen as the story unfolds through music and gaze at the Rembrandt's painting. Thank you. 
I'm going to ask you to leave the slide up there if you would. Something that you may not be able to see well in the lighting here is that just over the left shoulder of the father, that's where the second son, the elder son is. Off to the distance, a little bit back, holding back, not joining in. And if you look in a better picture, you will see that over the father's right shoulder is the mother, a female voice, a female picture. She also is in the shadows, holding back, but she is there. And yet we see, thank you, we see these three main characters, these roles of our story, the younger son, the father, the older son. The others were there also as supporting actors, we might say. And as we heard in the reading that we see in the painting very, very clearly, servants and others played a key role. The painting also suggests, as I said, the mother in the background and perhaps a business manager off to the side. All of them were taking part. Now, as we examine this parable more closely, it's common and natural for us to read scripture through the lenses of our own experiences. And I suspect that many of us have probably gone to our parents or perhaps grandparents at some point and asked for some financial help. College. Perhaps a down payment for a car or a home, or perhaps your children have come to you and asked for something. I know I have. I went to my parents and asked them if they might be able to help me with college. This seems very natural if they're able to do it. It seems a very natural ask if our parents are able to help out, either through a gift or a loan. And yet I doubt that many of us have gone so far as the younger son to ask their parents or grandparents to give them their inheritance now. Even if we might have thought it, perhaps, to say, oh, I know exactly what I could do if only I had a little more money. Even then, even if we had thought it, we wouldn't have been so bold or brash or even insensitive. It is totally out of line. Now add to that filter the lens of Jesus' day and some of the cultural taboos of Jesus' day. Now it is customary that the younger son would typically receive about one-third of the father's estate. A child, the oldest or the youngest, would never, ever, ever ask their father for the inheritance. This would be interpreted as, I wish you were dead already. Or I think of you as dead already, so give me the money now. Yikes. Talk about brazen and insensitive, insulting. Nevertheless, the father in the parable grants the request. This detail pictures a father who is letting a sinner go his own way, making his own choices, for the father could have denied the very ask and forced the, the hand of the son, I'm not going to give you a dime. If you want to go, go, but not on my money. But the father doesn't do that. And sure enough, what was feared takes place. 
The son squanders his fortune in a distant land. He throws away the inheritance. He lives and he parties hard. And only after all of his money runs out and his friends have abandoned him, there's a famine in the land, and he realizes that he is now in trouble. He is starving, and he's in a place where he has nobody to ask for help. So the son acts prudently and gets a job, but it's not the best job. In fact, the job is feeding pigs, an animal which is considered unclean. And yet, it is an income without it's not enough, though. He's still hungry. He is still alone. And without anybody else to help him, he's stuck. When he has finally hit bottom, he realizes how foolish he has been. He comes to his senses and resolves to confess to his father, ask not to be welcomed back into the house, but to be a hired slave. We see the humility of this son as he now places himself in his father's hands with nothing to ask but grace. And so the son heads home. We begin to see the inner healing taking place in this young man. We see the inner healing that is taking place and which leads him to seek forgiveness. His heart has changed. And so the son returns home to the father. And while he is still far off, his father saw him coming. And filled with joy and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, as this scene unfolds, we need to pause and also take a second to look through the different filters of Jesus' day, another cultural taboo. A father would never run to a son. It was undignified, especially in this scenario. The son had clearly stepped out of bounds, clearly had wronged his father. Everybody knew it. It was public knowledge. Everybody knew that it was the son who needed to come to the father humbly and begging forgiveness. And yet, this isn't how the father responds. At the sight of his younger son, he is filled with such love and joy and compassion to see his son, the one who he thought was gone and dead. He is alive and he has now returned. And so the father thought he would never see him again. Now he was filled and overflowed with joy at the very sight of him, even when he was far off. Now, I always want to see between the lines. Did the father sit at the window and watch every day, waiting to see if the son would come home? Did he keep an empty chair at the table just in case? Did the family continue to mention the son's name, or was that a name that was now off limits? Those questions I and we can only spe speculate about. It's fun to think about them. How would we respond? But what we do know is the father's response. The joy, overjoyed, rushing out, draping himself on the son, his lost son, his, the neck of his son, welcoming him back with hugs and kisses of affection. 
He didn't even wait for the son's explanation, nor his apology. The father was so filled with love and joy, he threw the feast. He threw the party. He gathered all to come to the table to celebrate life, new life, restoration, and forgiveness. Now, a definition of reconciliation, it is the process of two people or groups in a conflict agreeing to make amends or coming to a truce. In the relationship of the father and the younger son, reconciliation had occurred. The inner healing, the forgiveness, the reconciliation had happened between the father and the son. They had both had inner healing. We previously looked at how the son had been coming to ground to his senses, the decision to return home, throw his, himself on the father's mercy. Now look also at the father. Was there any anger or hurt, disappointment that the father had felt for his younger son when he took off? But look at this picture. Look at it. What do you see? Anybody want to talk? What do you see? <coughs> Passion, compassion. What else? Love. Forgiveness. The results of that love overflowing coming out from the father to his son. Yet in our scripture and the visuals and the painting, not everybody was happy. And so we switch up to see the younger son, the older son. And now we still have to even look into the shadows to see the son. The scripture tells us that the older brother was angry and would not go in. All of the jealousy, all of the bitterness and the anger that the older brother held inside, it is boiling up to the surface. The anger to his younger brother <coughs> for now, for how he had treated his father. And perhaps also the fact that the younger brother, when he took off, left all the hard work for his, son, his older brother to do. Anger now also at the father. Because the father has forgiven this son. It is the father again, as we note. It is the father again who goes out to look for the one that is missing. And this time, this time it is the older son, as scripture says. And the father goes out to beg him to come into the party. But the elder brother, he is still mad. He's got a chip on his shoulder, and he's not going to let it go. He replies, all of these years, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do anything that you told me to. And you never, never gave me one young goat to have a feast with my friends. And yet, when this son of yours, this son of yours, that language, that's a sure sign that the brother is mad. It's not his brother. It's this son of yours. And when this son of yours came back and goes and comes back after squandering your money, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. The older brother isn't able to see or understand that the father hasn't played favorites. He loves his two sons equally. And he says, my dear son, 
You have stayed always with me, and everything that I have is yours. Now, this is where our story ends in Scripture. We don't know what happens with the older brother. The celebration, the party has begun. The father left the celebration seeking his lost son, the elder son, inviting him to come in because the celebration was not complete without both of those sons. The father didn't give up on either one of the sons. We see that deep, deep love of the father, the love that he had for his younger son, the prodigal, and we see that deep, deep love that he had for the elder son as he goes again to seek and to find. The father has demonstrated and invited the older son to let go of his anger, to enter into the inner healing, to let go of his jealousy or bitterness, to let go. And yet the anger of the elder son <coughs> is being expressed both toward his younger brother for his behavior and for the father for welcoming him home. Now again, we don't know what the elder brother is going to choose. But what we do know is that without healing, without inner healing, without forgiveness, there is no reconciliation. There is so much more that we could unpack with this story and with this picture, and I hope that you will spend time reading it and looking at the picture on your own. Jesus gave us this story so that we might, that because it reflects human nature, and it is a mirror that we might examine our own hearts, our own attitudes toward others. Where do you see yourself in that story? Who do you identify with most, the prodigal son, the elder son? Or perhaps it is with the mother that's silent in the shadows without a voice, or maybe a servant, or maybe a bystander. The father says, we must celebrate with a feast for his son, his daughter. They were dead, and now they are back to life. They were lost, and now they are found. Next Sunday, we will be coming together to share our feast. And the preparation is already in progress. Today, you see that the chapel, you see some additional repairs that have been made, signs of restoration in preparation for our feast. Last week, many of you had the opportunity to help to restore the windows. You restored color, beauty, by the hands, uh, by your hands. Look at the kids that were putting their stained glass together. And yet restoration takes time. These windows are not done yet. And we are not yet done with the chapel. It's going to take a little bit longer. But I want you to see where the table was last week. Quite a bit of disarray. There was no beauty in it then. But during the week, it's been restored. There's now beauty. And it is being coming ready for us to share our feast next week. It's almost ready, but not ready yet.
We will be making more restorations this week here in our chapel in preparations for our feast next week. As we continue to reflect on our story of two sons and of their father, and as you make preparations for next week's feast, I invite you to examine your own hearts. Are you in need of inner healing? Are you in need of forgiveness? Or do you need to forgive others? Is there a relationship in your life that needs restoring? Someone that you might need to be reconciled to? As we prepare to come to the feast next week, I invite you today, today at the close of the service, I invite you to come up the ramp into the chapel, to spend some time here in the chapel, bringing your prayers and your confessions. I invite you to seek out one of the pastors today or during the week for prayer, for affirmation of forgiveness if you need. I invite you to go to the library that is directly across the lobby. There'll be a Stephen minister or others there to pray with you. We will be here to pray with you if you need prayer. If you need to hear God's voice, if you need forgiveness, if you need reconciliation, we are here. For all of the prodigals, for all of the ones who stayed home to, there is a place for you at the feast. God the Father loves us, all of us. God has no favorites whatsoever. He doesn't love one more than another. The banquet is for you. The banquet is for us. We don't want anyone to be left outside because they have not yet received inner healing. And so, let's have a feast. Let's have a feast and celebrate. I hope that you will come back next week as we join together in that feast. May God bless.